service here. If we can just do us a favor, we can all center ourselves a little bit more to the center here. For those that are by the, by the back, if you guys can make it to the front, we would appreciate that a lot. Make it look like a cozy home, amen. I would like to introduce our sister, Jerry, Pastor Jerry. She's going to come up and testify. Let's give her a hand, everybody. Hallelujah, God is good. Um, I just wanted to share just a, a brief testimony. Just to, like when I first moved to Chicago, um, I came here by myself and I spent a lot of time being lonely. And I didn't have a church family because I was lost and I had just moved here. But I can just say, like, just becoming, like, when I came to Metro Praise, you know, I came broken, busted and disgusted, but God healed me. Amen. That's awesome. And I just started getting into the fellowship with, with one another and just how important it is. And, and now I have, like, this great crowd of friends that are godly, that are a godly influence, that are challenging me. It says, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, how do we grow in the Lord? How do I walk with the Lord? And it makes such a big difference to have people of God in your life. And, and I just want to encourage everybody here because I know sometimes we get into fits of loneliness, but there's never loneliness in Jesus. Um, and I just want to share this verse with you that just kind of reiterates that. It's in um, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So I just want us to pray about that. And um, I just thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you create us to be new people when we come to you. And I thank you for your church, God. I thank you that there are brothers and sisters that are in this place, God, and we want to encourage each other in love and good works. God, I pray that you would just be blessed, honored, and glorified today in the name of Jesus. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Put those hands together with me. Ooh, so good to see you guys. Let's sing about Jesus. Come on. Jesus, you're glorious. You are so glorious. With eyes, with eyes that blaze like burning fire. Jesus, you're glorious. You are so glorious. Come on, say that with me. Your face, your face outshines the brightest sun. Jesus, Jesus, you're glorious. You are so in your hands. Can you make your way up to the front right now? We're going to open up this altar for you to come dance and sing and sing worship to him. Come on, make your way up as you clap those hands. Come on, save your voice. Your voice. 
love you, Lord. Come on, I'm going to teach you this new song, guys. You have loved me way before I knew you remaining faithful when I was not. And I can rest in your peaceful presence. My heart is satisfied in all that you are. Can you say my home? Because my home is here at your shoulder when I lift my hands I touch your heart my life I place at your feet say Jesus Jesus I am recklessly abandoned more of you less of me because when I lose my life is when I you today. We lay our lives at your feet, God. Everything we need is in you, Lord. The strength we need for tomorrow is here today. Jesus, we love you. Holy Ghost, have your way in this place. Can you just raise your hands right now? Can you just raise them up? Raise them high to the sky and say, Jesus, it's found in you. All I need is found in you. Everything I need is in your presence, God. Everything I need in your presence today. Come on, sing my strength. Oh, my strength is in the fullness of your joy. Is in the fullness of your joy. My hope is found in your name alone. Say, I can rest and I can rest knowing, knowing that
Hallelujah, Jesus. If you speak in tongues this afternoon, I want you to lift up your voices. I want us to fill the atmosphere with the praises of our King. Let's lift up those unknown languages. Come on, we're going to pray in the Spirit for a few moments. If this is weird to you, I just want to let you know that we are a church that believes in the power of God through the gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that the gifts want to blow up in this place today. Come on. Let's build up our faith today. Come on. Let's build up the inner man.
light in our world today, God. We lift up Chicago to you. We lift up America to you, God. Be exalted. Be exalted. Be exalted over our nation, all the nations of the earth, oh God. And let our love be lifted high for you and for people, oh God. Your word says that they will know that we are your disciples by our love. And I pray, oh God, that you would use our lives completely surrendered to you to win a world for Jesus. God, I thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is healing in this place for you. There is newness of life. There is a gift of salvation for you. Let's be open to receive it, God. We thank you for this awesome time in your presence, oh God. I declare that signs, wonders, and miracles will follow the preaching of the gospel today. I pray that hearts and minds and ears will be open to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Come on. He is worthy. He is worthy. Look to your neighbor, give him a high five. As we dismiss the King's kids right now, they can go back to their class with their teachers. Let's clap it up for these beautiful children that are going to be learning about Jesus today. We want to welcome you all to Metro Praise International. For those that may not know who I am, my name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here, and I'm going to preach the gospel to you today. The gospel is good news. And the verse that I'm going to read is from John chapter 5, verse 24. And this message is for those of you who are in this room who are not right with God. You've been running away from him. You've rejected the commands of the Lord. You've been pushing him away. You've not been born again. This message is for you. John 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. How many of you guys want eternal life? Come on, we know that this life that we live on this earth is a very short time, maybe 70 years at best. Some live more, some live shorter. For not none of us are promised this next moment. None of us are promised this next day. And the Bible's clear that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that he is the only way to the Father, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he came to die on the cross to take our place that our sins could be forgiven. He died for the sins of the whole world. And he says, truly I tell you, I'm not lying, that if you believe the words that I'm saying and you believe in the one who sent me, that God the Father sent me, God the Son, God in the flesh, to take your place, that you will have eternal life. And at that moment, we cross over from death to life. Not through our works, not through our self-righteousness, but because of the blood of Jesus and because of his righteousness that covers us. So I want you to ask yourself, take inventory of your life today. Are you right with God? Have you been rejecting him? Are you living for him? Are you living for yourself? With all eyes closed all across this room, when I pray, I want you to pray to Jesus. If you mean business with God. If you want to be saved, if you want to be born again, if you want to get right with God today because you want eternal life, you want to cross over from death to life, today is your day. Right now is your chance. I want you to pray to Jesus and ask him to forgive you. Ask him to make you new and to give you his life. God, I pray for every single person in this room that they would surrender their heart to you, oh God, and believe the words that you have spoken, that they are life 
and that they are truth, oh God, and that you are the only way, Jesus. I pray that you would cover them with your blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary so that their sins can be forgiven. It's by your loving kindness that you draw all men into repentance, oh God. And I pray that today will be the day they surrender all and follow after you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen and amen. You can give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, somebody's feeling it. Come on. Stand up to your feet with me, please. We're going to have prayer workers here to the side, Pastor Berto and Stephanie. She's one of our deacons. They want to pray with you today. If you want to get right with God, you want to find out how to get plugged into the church through discipleship, I want you to go to them during our fun fellowship time. At this time, we're going to confess our confession of faith. We do this every week as a church. It's because it's our Christian worldview. This is how we see the world around us, and this is what we stand upon. So if you're with me. Let's recite it on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. In the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, clap it up. Spend some time meeting somebody that you don't know. Give somebody a high five and a hug. Just have fun. church today come on just waiting for my goodies somebody's gonna bring the 201 book and the 101 book as i talk to you lovely people welcome to metro praise international we are so excited that you came to join us today if this is your first time i want to encourage you to keep on coming get plugged in and you're just gonna have a fun time serving jesus 
and building awesome friendships. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then on Fridays, we have Elevate at 7 p.m. every week for ages 11 to 18 years old. They're rocking it out for Jesus. Our upcoming event for you that we would love for you to join us at is our All Nations Dinner. Come on, make some noise if you love to eat. Woo! I know I love to eat. Come and represent your culture, your nation. Bring a dish for that you can share with multiple people. November 15th is the Sunday that we will be having it at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. So both of our services will be able to enjoy this All Nations Dinner. Our vision here at MPI is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. Those are the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Look to your neighbor and say, connect. If you turn your hand out, turn it around, you'll find the schedule of our life groups for this quarter. I would encourage all of you, if you're new, you've been coming for a while, and you have not connected to the life groups, find a life group that meets the needs of you and your family. This is where you want to get plugged into. You're going to get life at the life groups, okay? throughout the week to get connected, get closer to Jesus, get closer to the church. And if you look up at the screen, we'll give you a snapshot of what's happening this week. Kicking it off today, we have our single moms meeting today at 5 p.m. with child care included. So any single mamas that are here, you got to be there. They're powerful women of God that will encourage you. Wednesday, we have our King's Kids infant to 11 years old meeting here at the church at 630. That's where we have our boys club and girls club for Jesus. So you want to have your children here on Wednesdays, enjoy a free night off. Thursday, our gang outreach is meeting 18 years and up, 7 p.m. Meet at that address if you want to go out on the streets on Thursday to preach the gospel to those that need it. Friday, every week, we have two adult Bible studies going on for you guys. One is at the Govea's house, the other one at the Walker's. 18 years and up, child care is included at those Bible studies at 7 p.m. So you want to be there, bring a friend, get plugged in, get connected. Saturday, the Ambassadors Elevate Life Group. Come on, make some noise, Elevators. All right, they're going to be there. The Ambassadors, 11 to 18 years old. They're meeting at the church here at 3 p.m. Our teenagers are awesome. They're rocking it out for Jesus. And then Saturday, our evangelism team every week meets here at 5 p.m., hits the streets. All ages are welcome, preaching the gospel of Jesus to everybody they can find. And then we want to mentor you. Somebody say mentor. We want to take you through this 101 book that's called Welcome to Your New Life. We have leaders ready to join you on this journey of living for Jesus and encouraging you. When you graduate the 101, then you'll get into the 201 class, Disciples That Make Disciples, will, where you will continue on your journey of discipleship, getting closer to Jesus. But we're going to train you how to be a leader in the church because then we want to send you out to keep winning more souls for the Lord. And our goal here at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you want to be a part of that, say amen, because we want you to be a part of it. Some of you, we won't give you an option. We're going to keep you here forever. Look to your neighbor say, that's me. We want you all. Uh, we're going to learn about tithes and offerings at this time. You could always go to givingbook.org if you want to follow along with the weekly lessons. We are on section three of the book, which is all about stewardship. Today is lesson 13, stewards are generous. Look to your neighbor, say, be generous. The definition of stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. If you didn't know, God wants you to manage well everything that he's given to you, and that's called being a wise steward. And we're going to be reading in Acts chapter 2, 44 through 45. 
Acts 2, 44 through 45. You can follow along on the screen or turn in your Bibles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Here are the three main points. I want you guys to pay attention because this is a good one. Number one, all believers were together. Somebody say together. The book of Acts describes the ideal church in which all present churches should aspire to. The first church set the prime example of perfect unity in the cause of Christ. Everybody say unity. We need to be unified in our cause for Christ so that we could be one mind meeting the needs of the people around us and making sure they know about Jesus. And the first church in Acts did that well. Number two, sold property and possessions. Notice how the disciples first had to own things such as valuable possessions and extra houses to even be able to sell them to give as offerings. Therefore, they were not all poor or struggling. Many were prosperous enough to give generously to God's people. So our prayer should be, God, bless me to be a blessing. And the key word here on this lesson is we all are supposed to be generous. Okay, let's keep reading because it gets good. Number three, gave to anyone who had need. And I just want to commend you, Metro Praise International, because you are living this out day by day, being generous givers, meeting the needs of the people in the church. For those that may not know, we have a Facebook page, MPI Good Samaritan and Prayer Group page that you can join. And we have people in the church that are continually giving stuff away for free. And it's meeting the needs of the people in the church. So gave to anyone who had need. The needs of those in the church were met by those who could afford to give generously. Therefore, if everyone is poor, everyone will stay poor. However, if people prosper, they can help the needy to be poor no more. And so we're going to learn about the summary here in just a second. But we want to meet the needs of the people in the church and everybody, whether you have a lot or you have a little, to, we have to be generous. Generous with the little that you have, generous with the, uh, a lot that you have, okay? And here's the summary. Pray that God will prosper you so you can be generous and help others in need. So we need to pray, I want to be prospered. I want to be somebody that could give to meet the needs of those around me. Let's apply this. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, and then your offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Two, work hard and use wisdom to gain worldly wealth so you can be generous in giving to missions, drug rehab, community port programs, orphanages, and the like. And three, once you are prosperous, having enough to meet your needs and able to give generously, teach others how to be prosperous. For it is always better to give a hand up than a hand out. So we're not only just about giving handouts to everybody that needs something. We want to give them a hand up. Let's get an education. Let's get a job. Let's be prosperous because we want to be a blessing to continue to meet the needs. And you can't do that if you're not prosperous. Come on. How many of you guys want to confess this over your life because you're excited about what God wants to do in you and through you? On the count of three, let's recite this. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. If that is you, please stand up to your feet with me this afternoon. As we prepare to give God our very best, our tithes and offerings, it all goes to him to be used to further his kingdom on this earth. Again, MPI believes that a tithe is 10% of your total income, and an offering is anything above that, an amount between you and the Lord, which we designate towards missions and building funds. 
thank you for your generosity in both of these areas. For the building fund that we're in, we are so close to getting that lit up sign to go over the building. Let's keep being faithful and generous, and God is going to meet our need. Amen? We have two other convenient ways for you to give or purchase items in the church using your debit or credit cards. One is online at our easy-to-use website, and the other one is in the back with myself. You could meet me after service if you have any questions about that. Somebody's messing me up over there. Let's recite this verse together. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your generosity to us. And I pray that we will follow in your example, just like how you gave your all for us to have a relationship with you. I pray that we in turn will be a generous people, meeting the needs of our community around us. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver today. May they prosper in all that they do. Give them the jobs that they need, the raises, the promotions. I pray that the favor of the Lord will be upon them, that you would expand their territory, oh God, so that we could be blessed to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give today, and thank you for your generosity. ready to have some fun, say amen. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Good to see you here this afternoon. How many love Jesus? Can I get a what? What? Amen. It's so good to see you this afternoon. You know why? Because we are a church that loves to be with each other and with Jesus. That sounds like that should be a vision, loving God, loving people, right? That sounds like that should be somebody's slogan. Check out Matthew chapter 6. This is the Lord's Prayer. We're in a sermon series called The Kingdom of God. So if you've been with us this fall, starting in September, it's been all about the kingdom. Today's message on the kingdom of God is going to be on righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. How many could use some of those things? You could use some of that? Amen. I know I definitely can. Look at Matthew chapter 6. This is the Lord's Prayer out of the King James. We are going to read it together. And we're going to mean it. How many want to read this prayer and mean it from your heart? Okay, a lot of us prayed it traditionally in the past, but let's pray it and mean it on the count of three. One, two, three. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's the whole sermon series in a nutshell, learning about the kingdom of God. Now here's a cool definition of the kingdom of God. Right here, the kingdom of God is the Father's dominion over all creation. Somebody say all creation. 
thank you. So it's heaven and earth and the whole universe. The kingdom of God is the Father's dominion over all creation, ruled by his Son and our King. What's his name? Jesus Christ. What is the Son and King's name? Jesus Christ. One more time. What's the Son of God's name? What's the King of the kingdom called? Jesus Christ. And it's ruled now through the Holy Spirit. So watch this. The Father's dominion over all of creation, including heaven and earth, the known universe, is through the Son, Jesus Christ. That is our King, and it is impacted into our lives by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you guys to review this with me as I show you how to do it on your own. All of our notes are online at the website, mpichurch.org. Anytime you forget, look at the back sound booth. It's right there for you, mpichurch.org. Now, if you notice, I'm going to click on where it says Kingdom of God series. What that means is I'm going to show you all of the sermons in that series. Here they are listed out with their notes. And the cool thing is, usually by about Tuesday, I add to the notes the actual video. So on this one, which was the first sermon I preached, which was in the series called The Kingdom of God, it's the first one. The sermon is already there up online along with the notes. Everybody go, ah. Now, if you notice, these were the three things that I taught you at that time. And that is the three different aspects of the kingdom of God. This is important to know for today's service. When we looked at this, we saw that there is a kingdom there, there meaning heaven. Right now, the Father and Son are sitting on thrones, ruling over all that is in heaven and the creation of the known universe. But since Jesus has died on the cross and he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, there is now a kingdom here. And that kingdom is within our hearts. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Truly I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Then in Acts, he said, I'm leaving. You wait in the upper room and you will receive power and the kingdom of God will come to you. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came down. The Holy Spirit came inside of them. They spoke in other tongues as an evidence to seeing the power of God. And then they began to go out and preach. So now today, Jesus' prayer is actually being answered. The kingdom of God is here now in the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, what are we waiting for? Somebody say the kingdom coming. This is when we're talking about the end time judgment. Jesus literally coming on a white horse as the Bible describes it. Him splitting open the heavens. There will be a blood moon, but at the same time there is a blood moon, the sun will be darkened. So a lot of the hoopla over a blood moon was was really not true. It's not just a blood moon that's the problem. It's also the sun being darkened. And I can show you that in the book of Joel. But you have to just follow uh, the Old Testament prophecies to know it's more than just a blood moon. It is signs in in the heavens and on the earth, the pestilences, the curses coming down, and then God judges the earth. And then for a thousand years, the people of God rule and reign with Christ upon the earth. We will be the kings and governors and leaders of this land for a thousand years as the devil is bound up. That is the kingdom coming. Somebody say the kingdom coming. Thank you. Now, the biggest problem that the Jewish people always had with Jesus was the difference between the kingdom here 
the kingdom now or the kingdom coming. And so they kept thinking there was only going to be a kingdom coming where Jesus the Messiah would rule on a throne and destroy all of the God's enemies that at that time would have been Rome and then rule upon the earth. But once again, if that would have happened, as I said last week, there would only have been about a million people in the kingdom for all of eternity because those were only the righteous people at that time. Now because of 2,000 years of preaching the gospel, doing the Great Commission, there are now billions of people that are Christians and have been throughout history. So the number of the kingdom has grown, and that's why there is a separation of time between the kingdom here and the kingdom coming. And this time period between 2 and 3 is called the dispensation of the gospel or the dispensation of the church. We are here during this time to bring forth the kingdom to the people of this earth. So everybody say the kingdom there. Somebody say the kingdom here. And somebody say the kingdom coming. Thank you. Now that was in review. Now when we look at what we'll be talking about today, we're talking about the kingdom of God here with us and it bringing righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So go with me now to the book of Romans chapter 14. The kingdom is there in heaven. We know it's there. If my body dies, my soul goes there now. But what, it, what we also know is that there's a kingdom here. God is with me right now. He is here with me, and he's ruling and reigning in my hearts, and yet I know there is more to come. I know that wickedness will be taken off of this earth. I know that Jesus will rule as a king, and that is the kingdom coming. So look at Romans chapter 14, verse 17. As you're turning to Romans, I want you to look back again at the Lord's Prayer and ask yourself, can all of this be answered in my life? Jesus taught us to pray. If there is a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, it should be able to be answered. How many think Jesus gets answers to prayer? Okay? Before we look at the kingdom coming, let's just look at the rest of them. Give us this day our daily bread. How many have seen Jesus answer that prayer? The Father has sent that as you prayed in Jesus' name. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. How many believe your sins can be forgiven? Because of the cross. Jesus died on the cross. This was before the cross. So they were supposed to be looking for that event, that one-time sacrifice that would forgive their sins. Now we look back to the cross. They were looking forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. All of us, though, should be cross-eyed, okay? So how many here have their sins forgiven? Okay, so that's, that's come true. Jesus has answered that. And now lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many have prayed, deliver me from temptation or keep me out of evil? How many have prayed that and seen that happen? Well, he's keeping his word. So why would it be any different that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? Shouldn't we be experiencing that as well? Everything else has an answer to prayer. Our sins are forgiven. The daily bread has come. Some of us have too much daily bread or tortas like I had last night. Or uh, I had a taco. My friend had a torta, but it was really good. A lot of daily bread on a torta. How many like tortas? Okay. I got to keep it cool with my hente. You know how I do it. I'm the gringo pastor, right? Okay. So we, we all got our daily bread. We got plenty of it. We know that God can forgive us of sin, deliver us from temptation. So there should be the kingdom of God in each one of our hearts. How do we enter in? Remember, we've talked about this. Being born again. How do we, we receive the power of the kingdom? And you know what? Hold your place in Romans as I just uh, show you the review one more time because I see some were not here last week. Last week we learned about the power of God in the kingdom, and I just want you to see it. We enter, through, we enter into the kingdom by being born again. And how do we receive that power in the kingdom? We receive it by being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Somebody say baptized in water and say baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
Thank you. This is Jesus talking. On one occasion, Acts 1, 4, 8, he gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? At this time, are you going to make Israel the center of the earth and rule from Jerusalem? That is the kingdom coming. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are at this last phase of the ends of the earth. We are waiting for the kingdom to come to Israel, the kingdom coming. But during this time, the kingdom is here with us. And that is because he said in Mark chapter 9, Verse 1, he said to his disciples, truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Do you see that? So he told them, you will not taste death, some of you here, until you see the kingdom come with power. Well, when are you going to receive that power? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. So how do we enter into the kingdom of God? By being born again. How do we receive the power of the kingdom of God and see it among us by being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Can I get an amen? Now, many of you are still not baptized in the Holy Spirit in this second service, and we gave you a chance at the altar call last week, and only a few of you came. I think you're afraid of maybe what your friends might think or sounding weird or not understanding a lot about speaking in tongues and these things, but I went through that message last week and helped you understand why speaking in tongues is a sign that we've received the power of the Holy Spirit. So because I cannot go into that today, go back next to last week's message and listen to it. But trust me, God will bless you even today if you can just hear me say this. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Come up here today. Don't be afraid. The altar workers will help you understand. Speaking in tongues is not a gimmick. It is a true evidence of, of God moving in us by the power of the Spirit. I've shown you those testimonies in the Scriptures and out of my own life. So you can look at that. But I want to remind you as we go to that Romans 14 scripture for today, look at the definition again. The kingdom of God is the Father's dominion over all creation, ruled by his Son and King, our King Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's centered around the Holy Spirit. How are we born again? By the Holy Spirit. How are we given the power of God? By the Holy Spirit. And how do we receive righteousness, peace, and joy? By the Holy Spirit. How many believe me? You all believe me? Amen. Let's look at the text, Romans 14, verse 17. Let's see if I'm telling you the truth. For the kingdom of God, Paul speaking, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. How many like to eat and drink, though? All right? How many like to eat? Let's keep it real. But it's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of what? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Where is it found? In the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. I do not have time to talk about human approval here today. I did a little bit in the first service, but I want to keep it more brief for you guys in the second service so I can talk about more important things. But I do mention the human approval. Basically, in summary, what that means is when you're a part of a church and you're living right, there will be people to encourage you and affirm you. So you shouldn't be an island by yourself saying, I don't need anybody in my life to approve of me living for Christ. Because there could be uh, people not living righteous, but ratchet. And so the Bible said that we should have righteousness, not ratchetness. And so what, what, that ha what that helps with that is being in a church will help make sure you're reading the Bible right. That's why it says human approval. I can't go more than that. 
But everybody say pleasing to God. Okay, so watch it. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. So how many people here want to be pleasing to God? That's a big deal. So we need to learn about these three things right here. And, and I don't have time to talk about why he says it's not about eating and drinking. But once again, if you read in Romans 14, you can get the summary. People were arguing about whether or not they should be vegetarians or meat eaters. They were arguing about what day they should go to church on, Saturday or Sunday. And Paul is like, hey, stop it. Cut it out. It's not about whether you drink alcohol or you don't drink alcohol, whether you eat pork or you don't eat pork, or what day you go to church on. Those are not what counts. What counts is righteousness, and righteousness is following God's commands, not the laws of man, not what man makes up. Are you listening? He says it's not about religiosity. It's about peace in your heart and joy in your soul. So if you have time, you can go back and listen to my first message because I do go more into that, and I always have both online. So let's learn about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Those are the three things that mean we're in the kingdom. So if you're in the kingdom of God, you should have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you do not have righteousness, peace, and joy, you're not in the kingdom. So you might have done something different than what the Bible has said. You might have been baptized. You might have been to a church service, raised your hand, had somebody pray for you. Okay, that's all good, but it's not good enough. You, to be in the kingdom, you have to be born again. And if you've been born again, you have these three things. It's a distinct line. Either you have them or you don't have them. And I want to teach about them, but as I get ready to go into this, you cannot have them unless you're in the kingdom. Because notice that the preface here is for the kingdom of God is et cetera, et cetera. It's these things. If I don't have the kingdom of God, I cannot have these things. Does everybody get that? Okay, remember John 3, 3. No one can enter or see the kingdom of God unless they're what? Born again. Thank you very much. Okay, I want to teach you about each one of these things, righteousness, peace, and joy, three things about each one because they're so uh, big in the Bible. The subject is so vast. So I reduced each one of these to three main points. So let's start off with righteousness. Let's learn about right standing with God, perfect in our nature, and right behavior with people. Those three things, I believe, can give us a good idea of what it means to be righteous in the Holy Spirit while we're in the kingdom of God. So go to Romans chapter 1, verse 17 with me. Romans chapter 1, verse 17, and let's learn about right standing with God. Everybody say right standing. Does anybody know the big uh, theological word for right standing with God? Maybe Steve in the back. Do you know the theological word? No, that's, that's kind of <laughs> righteousness really means righteousness. No, what does right standing with God mean, my brother? Does anybody know? Justification. Justification. A lot of studying left for you, young man. No, I'm kidding. Steve is awesome. The technical term found in the Bible is justification. It's actually a judicial term. It means when you're in court and you've been found guilty that something comes in your favor to justify you being proven innocent or being let off the hook even though you were guilty, even though the problem was on your, even though you created the issue, you were guilty, but something justifies you. So take, for example, it's a case, it's a murder case, and they find out that now you did it in self-defense. So you did kill the person, you did, you're, you're guilty, you killed the person, but it was in self-defense. You are now justified for your actions, okay? So I, I shouldn't say the word guilty, I should say you 
you did the actions, but you are relieved of the guilt because of something else, something else being known. So once again, let's say that uh, you did steal from Walgreens. You did steal, but you were stealing water because someone outside was having a heart attack or whatever. You were giving them the water. They said, okay, you were justified to take the water outside of the store before you paid for it and give it to somebody. Are you with me? You were justified to kill the intruder into your house. And so courts, they try to find, are you justified in those actions? Well, here's the thing. We're all guilty before the court of God, and nothing can justify us, nothing in our own self. But Jesus, the innocent one, takes our penalty on the cross, dies for the sins of sinners, not his own sins, the sins of sinners. That's why he was incarnated and born of a virgin. Jesus existed before he came to Mary, but he came through Mary to take on flesh like us, to be like us, to die for us. But why he was born of a virgin and not just an inner, 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 getting it on like everybody else is because his flesh was not cursed like Adam and Eve's. He had to be impregnated by the virgin, uh, by the Holy Spirit and have a body like Adam and Eve's that was free from sin. Okay, I went through the inner, inner quick, but y'all get what I'm talking about. I'm talking about making love. Okay, young people talking about making love. Jesus did not come about by Mary and Joseph making love. He came about by the Holy Spirit creating in Mary's womb a new body that did not have the genetic code of Adam and Eve. He had a genetic code that was uniquely developed for him that was without sin. Now, righteousness, the first thing that we're going to learn in the kingdom is that we're right standing with God. Now, how do we get right standing with God? Do we do it on our own merit? No, we get it from Jesus. Watch it right here, Romans 1.17. For in the what? In the what? Gospel. Thank you. The righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by what? Faith. Thank you. From first to last. That means the first disciple who believed in Jesus after the resurrection, whoever that was, Peter, whoever it was, it was by faith for Peter to be made righteous all the way down to the last human being that will ever believe the gospel before Jesus comes back and the kingdom comes to earth. Whether that's 2,138, if that's the last year of human history, whoever's the last one to get saved, they're going to get saved by faith. Everybody say by faith. Thank you. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So how do the righteous live by? Faith. So you cannot be righteous without faith. So what does it mean to have faith in the gospel? You have to admit you're a sinner. The only kind of person that Jesus saves is sinners. If you think you're righteous, you're self-righteous, deceived, full of pride, you cannot be saved. The only person Jesus saves are sinners. That means you have to admit, I can't, but he can. I am not, but he is. You get that? So that's the gospel. That's good news. Gospel literally means in the Greek language, good news. And so here now we have to ask you, do you believe the gospel? Do you understand what it means to be saved by grace through faith because of what Jesus did, not of your own good works? There are sometimes people that think their own good works can save them. But let us just see with the logic that God gave us if that would be true. So some people believe that if they do enough good works, it will outweigh their bad works. So let's say you have a scale here, bad works. You have a scale here, good works. They think if they've done bad things and then they've done good things, on judgment day, if they've done more good things, the bad things are going to be taken care of. But let's just see if that works. Imagine you are a juror and you are at a court case, and once again it's somebody that committed murder. Now, let's say they had no justification for the murder. It was done out of anger, violence at a bar, etc. They got angry. They, they shot the gun. 
Now, let's say they don't even try to argue that the person threatened them or was going to hurt them. They, they just come out and say, here is, their, the, here is the thing that the lawyer is going to plead on their behalf, the defendant. He says this, I make no excuses for his actions. He murdered out of anger. That is true. But jury and judge, we want you to let this murderer go because... The murder only took 20 seconds. Pulled out gun, boom, boom, boom. That was it. But this person has been alive. Let's say they're 30 years old. This person has been alive for a million seconds, years, and months. And all of those years, all of those months, all of those seconds, they never murdered anybody ever before. So don't let these little old 20 seconds condemn the murderer who's lived all of these seconds and minutes and hours without doing anything wrong. Do you think that's a fair way to judge it? No, because still as the juror, what are you going to say? Those 20 seconds outweigh all the good they've ever done. This one act still must be punished. Does that make sense to you? It should because you are a creature made in the image of God. You have a sense of conscience. You understand just because they were good their whole life, it doesn't make up for that one wrong. Now let me ask you, now that you are on trial in God's court, you're on trial right now. Put yourself in that seat. You're on trial. How many sins have you committed? And do you think any of your good works in this life is going to make up for your sins? You couldn't make up for one sin. You couldn't make up for 10 sins. You couldn't make up for 100 sins. And how many sins do you think you've committed? Thousands. So if you can't make up for one sin, how are you and I going to make up for all of our sins? That's why the Bible says it is by faith. I am trusting in Christ for my righteousness. So when we talk about the kingdom of God having the manifestation or the attribute of righteousness, it's not self-righteousness. It's not what I've done for myself. Look at me. I'm Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Look at all the good I've done. No, it's simply me saying I'm a sinner that's saved by faith. That's my righteousness is there was a man named Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, the son of God, who took my place so that I might be given righteousness. And guess what? I'm going to be righteous and keep living by faith. I'm going to keep trusting in that person, right standing with God. The next part of righteousness that we want to learn is perfect in our nature. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 is going to help you dispel the myth that nobody is perfect. We've heard that a lot, haven't we? Haven't you heard that? Well, nobody's perfect. How many have heard that? Yep, but we're going to see what happens when Christ makes us new. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 Talking about Jesus, what he did for us, it says, God made him who had no sin to be what? Sin for us, so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. So how can I say now that nobody is perfect? How can I say now that God does not make me free from sin? Righteous means free from sin. See, the Bible says Jesus did not have sin. But he took our sin. So before Jesus had our sin, before he took it upon himself, was he free from all sin? Before Jesus took my sin upon himself, was he perfect? Was he righteous? Was he free from sin? Okay. Now, before I came to Jesus, did I have any righteousness on the inside of me? No. So we made an exchange. Jesus had 100% righteousness. I had 100% wickedness. 
Now let me just show you that because some of you may not believe the biblical account. Let me just show you quickly. Romans chapter 3 makes the account clear, according to Paul, that there is no one righteous, not even one. And he continues to show that there is absolutely no righteousness in anybody outside of Christ. So let's look at it. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and onward. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Altogether, they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. According to the Bible, without Christ, is there anybody good? Without Christ, according to the Bible, is there anybody righteous? Okay, so was Christ perfect? Yes. Was I imperfect? Yes. But what happens here, according to Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, is that there is a divine exchange that happens. His perfection is imputed to me, and my imperfection is given to him. That is why he became sin for me, and I became in him the righteousness of God. It is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I had the wrong one here. How many believe God gave you what you didn't deserve? How many believe that? How many believe you God gave you what you didn't deserve by taking what you did deserve? How many believe you deserve death? How many believe you deserve God's punishment? But how many believe Jesus took what you didn't deserve? I mean, he did what you did deserve to take, take what you did deserve to give you what you didn't deserve. Now look at this. Here it is. God made him who had no sin to be what? Sin for us. So he took on sin. He took my sin. Now what do I get to become? Okay, so can I still say that I'm a sinner as a Christian? No, because I'm not a sinner. I'm the righteousness of God. Can I still say that I'm imperfect as a Christian? No, because I'm made in the perfect image of God. When I was born again, how was I born again of the Spirit? Jacked up? Did the Holy Spirit mess up when he made me a second time? I was already jacked up from Adam and Eve's sin, born sinful in my flesh. Now I get a spiritual rebirth. Is that also jacked up? No, the Bible says also in this same passage, uh, or rather in the same um, uh, Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 16, further up here, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is what? Here. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a way that you could understand how you're perfect in nature, but not always perfect in your behavior? How many would like to know something about that? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if your pastor made a whole entire separate article just on being perfect and acting perfect? Wouldn't that be cool if you could understand the differences between being perfect and acting perfect? Can I show them to you right now? Let me first preface it by this. Let me just take a few moments to clarify what the Bible teaches about being and acting perfect in Christ. Being perfect in Christ is who we be in our nature. Acting perfect in Christ is what we are commanded to do. Though we may not always act perfect, we be perfect. Saying nobody is perfect has become an excuse for many Christians to continue in sin. Rather, every Christian should boldly say, I am perfected in Christ, even if I don't always act like it. The difference is understanding our nature and what is expected of us. Saying no one is perfect gives the impression that God has not saved nor changed you. However, confessing that you are perfect in Christ places a demand upon your faith in God to live like it. Now, how many would like to see Jesus say something like that? Because you don't want to just hear a preacher say that. How about let's look at to Jesus. Matthew 5, 48. Be jacked up, therefore, because everybody else around you is jacked up and nobody else is perfect. Is that what Matthew 5, 48 says? Try your best because nobody's perfect. Cheat on your wife every now and then. Your boss did, and I'm sure he'll understand. Is that what it says? 
Now, many of you have read this scripture, and maybe you didn't understand what it meant. But I think we should read it on the count of three and try to get some understanding. Maybe we should pray first. Father, open up our eyes. Let our hearts hear what your spirit is saying. One, two, three. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I give you the challenge. Don't get mad at me, but I give you the challenge to go back and tell me what else this means if it doesn't mean what I think it means. Go back and tell me what you think it means. Now, I'm getting my doctorate, and that doesn't mean I'm smarter than you. It just means I've taken a lot of time to study. I'm telling you I am confident in what that means. I've met a lot of other pastors that don't believe what that means. Now, here's the thing. I could care less what they think. I want to know what Jesus thinks. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly Father is perfect. How does that happen? Well, when I'm born again, my nature changes. I was born imperfect. By that definition, that's true. Nobody's born perfect. Nobody always acts perfect. That's true. But can I be born again perfect? Can I be born again like Christ in his image? Can I be born again in the righteousness of God? Absolutely. That's the only way I can get in. Is That's the only way I'm supposed to get in, is by being given a new nature. How many want to hear what Peter had to say? How many think Peter knew Jesus? How many think Peter knew Jesus a little better than you and me? Okay, how many think Peter knew Jesus a little bit better than the person we watch on TV who has a Bible asking us to buy holy water for $5.99, send him $1,000, plus shipping and handling? How many think Peter knows more than that? How many, think, how many think Peter knows more than Father Tom and feeding us communion like we're little birds? How many, think, how many think Peter knows more, right? I don't mean to be rude. Listen to me. If you're a Roman Catholic or you come from that background, that's okay. So did my family. Don't get mad. Don't get machismo. Don't try to beat me up in the back parking lot. Go back and study and tell me what you believe from the Bible. Amen? Prove it. Prove it. Don't tell me something that's not in the Bible and act like I have to do it. Show me in the word of God. If God commanded me to go in the dark closet with Father Tom and confess all my naughties to him, then I'll be the first one to get in the dark closet with him. But God didn't tell me to go into a dark closet and confess all my naughties to him. Are you listening to me? And the Bible never told me to have somebody else feed me under any circumstance, especially under communion. Feed myself. I understand the righteousness of Christ. I believe that. I stand before God as my own person. Now, I have the approval of this church and other godly people. I don't need the approval of Rome. Amen. I pray for them. May they all get saved. If we've got saved, I am nobody to boast in my own self. I'm a wreck without Jesus. A mess. Are you listening to me? I am not boasting in self-righteousness. I'm saying, come one, come all to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. He doesn't save self-righteous religious people, whether they're religious of hip, uh, uh, religious hypocrisy or whether they're dedicated religious people of Islam, of any other religion. I have a book on Islam back there. It doesn't matter. Listen, friends, it's either Jesus' way or no way. Now, how many think Peter knew Jesus? How many think Peter was led by the Holy Spirit to write some things in the Bible? Can I tell you what he said? He said, through these... He has given us, God has given us very great and precious promises, talking about the Bible and all the things God has promised, so that through them you may participate in the, what am I supposed to participate in this world? The nature of Lady Gaga? The nature of uh, Oprah Winfrey? Who am I supposed to participate in? The nature of what? God, the divine nature, having escaped, past tense, the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So do you got evil desires? I've had evil desires. What am I supposed to do? Run to them, give them a hug, and call them my friend? No, I'm supposed to escape those evil desires by sharing in the divine nature of God. Now, participate in the divine nature of God. If I say right now you can participate in the ownership of a Ferrari and I put your name on the title, do you own a Ferrari? If I put your name on the title, do you own a Ferrari? If I say you can participate in owning the house that I own and put your name on the mortgage, do you own that mortgage? Yes. If I say you can participate in the torta I get and I split it in half and give half of it to you, can you eat it with me? Sure. 
So how do we not understand this? We are to participate in what? The divine nature. Because Jesus became sin for us, I get to become the righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus did, I get to share in the same nature. I am not equal with God in the sense of divine attributes. I am equal with God in the nature of perfection. As he said before, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Also, when you look to the author of Hebrews, this is what he teaches. For one, four by one offering, talking about Jesus Christ, he has what? He has jacked up for all time. Four by one offering, he has what? Perfected for all time those who are made. So have you accepted the one offering of Jesus? Have you? Has anybody here accepted the one offering of Jesus? So are you perfected for all time? Yes, you are. As long as you are with Jesus, you stand in the righteousness of Jesus. At any time you leave Jesus, you don't get the benefit of his righteousness. That's called backsliding or hardening your heart. If you stay with Christ, you get his benefit. As long as my children obey me, they get all the benefits that I get. By my provision for them, they get it. Imagine I I died, I left them a will of a million dollars, and I said, as long as they're in college, they get the money. They leave college, take it back. You see, that would be up to them. It's their choice. Do you want the money? Stay in college. God is saying to you, do you want to stay perfected? Stay with me. Do you want to be made holy? Stay with me. Past tense, both of them. Those he has perfected, past tense, for all time, and those who have been made holy. Steve, would you uh, please, uh, made talking about the past tense, bring me up a bottle of water, please. I want to give you an example. When you think about water, do you know that all the water you're drinking now at one time probably was in our sewage system? This is how it works. Water goes through our sewage system back out to Lake Michigan and comes filtered back in. It's an ever-revolving water filtration system that we have here. Just think about that water. It gets dirty, and then it gets clean. It gets dirty, and then it gets clean. When we look at what Christ has done in us, thank you, sir. Let's give it up for Steve, this man right here, burly man. I love this brother. He's a great preacher, too, by the way. He's going to learn more about justification, though. Right, my brother? You know we all from the streets. I was a high school dropout at 16. No one ever would have guessed pastor would be, I would be pastor talking about justification. But now I'm getting my doctorate by God's grace. I'm so happy about all of this. Start my next classes in November. I mean, just wrote books and all, write books and all this. It's all God. Now watch. I drink this water just for the example because I believe it's 100% pure. Now in our actual water filtration system, I don't know what it is. What, 98% pure, 99.9? I don't know what it is. But just for our illustration, let's take it as 100% pure. I drink it. Now, let's say while I'm drinking this water, a bug flies in. Now I have a decision to make. Do I just take out the bug and keep drinking it? Or has it contaminated enough of the water that I need to dump it in, go, let it go through a filtration process, and come back out pure again? Here's how we have to look at Christianity. Christianity is being born again pure, 100% pure. This is how you're born again. You're born pure in the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. This is what it means to share in the divine nature. This is what it means to be holy as he is holy. Here it is. Now, if you sin, what are you to do? You are to repent of your sin and let the Lord purify you and return you to the state of purity. Do you want to stay with a bottle of water and a, and, a, and a mosquito in it? No, you want something that is pure. God wants you to be pure. So that's what it means to be perfect, and here's how we act perfect. If I ever sin, number one, I ask God to forgive me of my sins. I don't stay with the junk in the trunk. I let Christ perfect me and keep me as I'm supposed to be. That is how I'm to live. God says, forgive me of my debts as we forgive our debtors. The next thing that I'm to do is I'm to consider my flesh crucified. You see, it's the body that hasn't changed. When I was born again, did the color of my eyes change? Did my hair color change? No. 
I was born again in my spirit, sharing in that divine nature of God. But my body's the same. Your body is made up of those senses, and your brain is just an organ. And so when your brain dies, your mind lives on. How many believe your mind and brain are separate? That means if your body dies, your soul lives on, and your soul's not going to be in heaven like, oh, I'm in heaven, oh, I don't know anything. No, you're going to have a mind in heaven. How many believe you're going to think in heaven? But you won't have a brain in heaven. How will you do that? Because a soul uses the brain here but doesn't necessarily need it. A disembodied soul in heaven still has a mind. But guess what? The Father doesn't have a brain, and he's pretty smart. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a brain, and he's pretty smart because minds don't need brains. We only see it on earth because we were made in a fleshly tent. I get into the car and I get out the car, but the car is not me. I use the car. Your soul comes into the body, uses the body, but your soul is not the body. Are you with me? The body was made out of dirt, then God breathed into it, and it became a living soul. Then when man sinned, he surely died. That day in his spirit, he knew he was separated from God by his own acknowledgement of his nakedness. Before then, his soul shined through him as a light, and all he saw was the glory of God. When the light died out, he, all, he saw his nakedness. That's why they went to go sew fig leaves on themselves. Then their body eventually died, okay? So now the Bible says the soul must be reborn, then the body dies, and then the soul is resurrected with a new body, a perfect body. What is that body going to be like? The body of Christ that was raised from the dead, a perfect holy body your soul will be into. So what do you do now? How do you live out perfection now? We, both of us, all of us rather, have to live as our bodies are crucified with its passions and desires. So those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its what? So where do my evil passions and desires come from? The flesh. Okay, you want to do an experiment? You know, you can do an experiment if you want, but I would say not lead you into temptation. But here would be an experiment. If I popped a guy in the nose right now, his flesh is going to want to beat me up, right? If we put naked pictures up in front of people here, lust is going to come into your heart, the hormones, right? If I begin to talk to you a certain way about what somebody else has, you may begin to get jealous. You see, the tendency of our flesh is towards sin. It is going to die. Anger, violence, perversion, all of these things find their way in the flesh. Everybody say the flesh. Can I show you that in the Bible? How many believe the Bible? I just want to know. Does anybody not believe the Bible? Come talk to me after service. It's okay if you don't. I just do, but I'll show you why I do at another time. But look at what it says right here. Look at what it says. It says the acts of the what? The flesh. Touch your flesh right now. Do you have any or are you cast for the ghosts? Do I have any cast for the ghosts here? Your, your flesh, right? This is what your flesh wants, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions. Sounds like last night at the club for somebody, right? Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Somebody might have wanted to have that and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can I live like this and inherit the kingdom of God? No. It's a good thing someone's teaching about the kingdom of God, right? But what is the fruit of the Spirit? Spirit inside of me is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, jealousy, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Praise God. You can have as much love as you want. Don't have to worry about overdoing that. Now look at this. Here's the scripture. Sounds familiar. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Where do evil passions and desires come from? The flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Who is the we? Our soul. Our soul has the Spirit and chooses to live either by the Spirit or by the flesh. Where am I perfected? In my soul and spirit. 
where's the Holy Spirit with, with my soul and spirit? But I still live in a tent. I still live in an earthly body, a jar of clay, this flesh. It has desires. A brain has memories of the past, of things that I used to like. You ever try to go on a diet? The brain will tell you a whole lot of things about what you need, right? You need chocolate cake. You need this. You need that. You ever try to exercise? Your body will tell you what it doesn't like. Even though it needs it, the body will scream in pain, right? And that's what they say is pain, weakness leaving the body, right? So here's all these things we know with our flesh. It's no different with the spirit. God is in us, causing us by the spirit to live these ways, to do these things. The Bible actually says we're supposed to keep in step with it. It says, let us live by the spirit and let us keep in step with the spirit, following where the spirit leads. That sounds like our father, doesn't it? Lead us not into temptation. What is leading me, Father, Son, or Spirit? What is actually with me, leading me? The Spirit. That's the Spirit that brings me the righteousness, peace, and joy. That's where the kingdom is with me. The Father through the Spirit. Jesus through the Spirit. So wouldn't it be really cool if there was like a little poem I wrote to make this all make sense that I just talked about the difference between being perfect and acting perfect? Wouldn't that be cool if there was a poem? Wouldn't that be cool if there's a little poem right here? Okay. If you didn't understand what I said before, listen to this right here. Here it is. I was born a sinner, nothing good was in me. Since meeting Jesus, I was born again a saint, and now perfection is my new identity. Though the world may not see my inner perfection, they will see my righteous deeds because I consider my flesh, my flesh crucified at Jesus' crucifixion. Yes, it's true, I don't always act like I share in the divine nature, but the greater truth remains, in Christ I am a new holy creature. So just because I was born a sinner because of Adam and Eve doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't do the impossible and put perfection inside of me. The life I now live is not based on excuses like nobody is perfect, but rather on the Scripture's promises that because of Jesus' one offering, God's elect are truly made perfect. You see, that's what it's about. Amen. Let's give it. So what I did is I showed you the difference between acting perfect and being perfect, and you can go back to the notes and you can see that, that I reference that. And so it's very important to understand when we're talking about the righteousness of God, that we're talking about, number one, right standing with him, justification. Number two, we're talking about a perfect nature, a righteous nature that God puts in us to live for him, not by our own works, but what Christ did for us. And then number three, right behavior with people. Everybody turn to First Thessalonians Two ten. We have six more points to go, so let's go quickly. How many want to get to those six points? Did you come to church to learn today? Amen. First Thessalonians two ten. At least you can't say I'm talking slow. I'm trying my fastest to get through it. Amen. Still got six points to go, but I'll summarize. It's okay. I wanted to really get this across. First Thessalonians two ten talks about our righteousness with people. Number one is righteous before God, not under His wrath. Number two, righteous in our nature, truly being transformed. And then number three is righteous with how we act with people. Second, or First Thessalonians, not Timothy, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Here we go. Paul talking again. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. Well, nobody can be righteous. Oh, well, hold on. Paul said he was righteous. No one could be blameless. Paul said he was blameless. No one can be holy. Well, Paul said he was holy. So is he lying? Or should we change the way we talk? I think we should change the way we talk. We should stop saying nobody's perfect and using that as an excuse. We should say nobody's born perfect. 
And maybe not everybody acts perfect, but I certainly have the perfection of Christ inside of me. I certainly have the righteous nature of Christ inside of me. I'm participating with him in the divine nature, and I have what it takes to live for him. As a matter of fact, when it talks about greater that that's he that's in me than he that's in the world, it's not talking about me just overcoming uh, bad things. It's talking about me having the power to do all good things. That means nothing bad can stop me from doing what's good. There is no evil desire that can stop me from doing what's good. I have the potential by Christ to always do what's good. And Paul said, hey, you guys know I lived like that. Could somebody say that about you? Or could you say that in front of your family and say, hey, family, you're my witnesses. And so is God. I've been holy. I've been righteous. And I've been blameless. Now, once again, you may say, Pastor, well, sometimes we make mistakes. That is true. We do make mistakes sometimes. And the Bible gives us the way to handle that. But the Bible never gives us the excuse to live in those mistakes. If you go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, you hear how John talked to his people. He said, my dear children, I write this to you so that no one will what? So that you will not what? Sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. He's for everybody. He's going to forgive us. So what is the proof that I've been forgiven? I don't continue in my sin. Look to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 tells me what a Christian looks like even if they sin. See, that's why Paul could say this. Did Paul make mistakes? Sure he did. He was just like us. He didn't always act right. I can show you that at another place. But he knew that his nature had been changed. Look at it right here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 is the wrong one. Where's the back of my flyer? First uh, John, is it 418? First John, somebody grab one of my flyers in the back. First John 3.8. No, First John 3.8. There, I got it. First John. Got it. Okay, here we go. Everybody say First John 3.8. Everybody makes mistakes. See, even I made mistakes. There we go. Look at this. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the devil's work. Now look at verse 9. No one who is born of God will what? Continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been what? Born of God. How do I see the kingdom of God? I must be born again. When I'm born again, I'm given the righteous nature of Christ. Can I continue in sin? If you see a Christian saying that they're a Christian, they're continuing in, in sin, is that the truth? No, they're lying, aren't they? They're lying. Because those who are born of God cannot continue in sin. So going back up to the beginning of 1 John, I'll show you right here. How do I know that the true Christian who sins is really dealing with what God says? Because they're repenting and not continuing in it. We'll get back to Paul's example in just a moment. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is what? A nice person, and you should listen to them and just believe when they say nobody's perfect? Because that works all the time with my wife, sure, right? I could say to her, hey, I have a girlfriend, two on the side, three, whatever, but nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You should still love me, right? Because that works, doesn't it? I could say that to a police officer, kill a bunch of people. Nobody's perfect, right? But it doesn't work there. It doesn't work in the Bible, does it? Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a what? A liar, and the truth is not in them. But anyone who obeys his word, the love of God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as what? Jesus. Wow, I'm actually commanded to live like Jesus, be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect, be holy for he is holy, share in the divine nature. Yes, that is why going back to Paul, Paul could say in First Thessalonians 2.10, guys, 
I've lived holy, blameless, and righteous. You're my witness, and so is John. Because what? Anytime he did what was wrong, he was quick to repent and not to keep on going sinning. If I lust in my heart towards a woman I'm not married to, I confess it to God, to my wife, and I don't go on sinning. She applies grace to our relationship. True forgiveness means I'm changing my mind. It means I don't want to continue in that. It doesn't mean I keep doing whatever I want and ask for grace to make a license to sin. We're not to get a get-out-of-jail-free card with God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness is for transformation. It's for the changing of our mind. That's why Romans chapter 12 says, you offer your body as a living sacrifice and you get renewed, transformed in your mind and how you think. So the only way you can truly be forgiven is if you want to think and act differently. So the last time you asked Jesus to forgive you, did you really mean it? Because if you did, now you're blameless, now you're righteous, now you're holy. Have you sinned since then? Confess your sins so you can remain blameless and holy. That's why the Bible says, search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Show me, cleanse me, O God, wash me clean. You see all those examples in the Bible so that we can remain in that perfect state that Christ asked us to be in. That is righteousness. Everybody say righteous. Now, for the sake of time, I will summarize these points of peace and joy. These are the next components of the kingdom of God. He said it's not about eating and drinking, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy. joy. Are you guys happy to be in church? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, some people want joy for the Cubs to win and get to the World Series, but whether they win or not, I still have joy. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. But let's look at peace. Three things when we talk about peace. The scriptures are there. You can look them up on your own. Number one, peace with God, free from his wrath. Literally, before Christ, we were God's enemies. The Bible called it that language. It said you were an enemy of God and that God's wrath was justified against you. You have to understand that in all seriousness. When I give you examples of justice, you have to know that that was against you. Because Jesus died on the cross, he has stayed the hand of the Father's judgment and given the dispensation of the gospel. That's why we're here alive and not burning in hell. But take my word and take the Bible's word. If you do the things that the flesh desires, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will not rule and reign with Christ, but rather you will suffer eternity in hell. But we are not in that place today. How many today have peace with God? And what that means is the wrath of God has been subsided in Jesus Christ. Jesus took your wrath. Jesus took your punishment. So don't think of hell just as a place that scary people go to, the devil goes to, Hitler goes to, because you're really good compared to Hitler. No, hell is a place for anyone who doesn't want to do what Jesus wants to do. It's that simple. So my grandma will go to hell. if she, You know, both my grandparents are dead. But my grandma would be in hell right now if she did not do what Jesus wanted her to do. She could have been making pierogies, glunky, kubasa, pinching my cheeks, being the nicest Polish grandmother ever. But if in her heart she wasn't born again, didn't want to do what God wanted her to do, she gets hell. As a matter of fact, she gets rewarded with hell, as the Bible says. She gets paid with hell. See, the Bible says salvation is a gift, but hell is a reward for your works and a punishment. You earn hell. You deserve hell. You don't deserve heaven. So people who go to hell, it's actually because they worked hard to get there. Think of that. The wages, the payday, the bonus of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So who gets to go to hell? Those who said to Jesus, not your will be done, but my will be done. So do you get to spend eternity with him when you said on this earth, I don't want you? You've made your choice, now that's your consequence. Who gets to go to heaven? Those who say, not my will be done, 
but your will be done. How many have peace with God today? Amen. The next kind of peace that we see that's in the Bible is a peace of mind. How many need a peace of mind today? A lot of times we say, I'm going to give you a peace of my mind. We'll give you a peace of my mind. Now, now we wonder why we're going to lose our mind. We gave everybody a piece of it. There's none left. You better keep some for yourself. Amen. Stop giving everybody a piece of your mind. I know I have to guard myself because you know what? We allow ourselves to get worked up. This, this, this is a true part of Christianity. It's how we think. It's how we act. Have you ever argued with yourself? You ever had a debate with yourself? Should I say that? I don't know if I should say that. You know what? That was your conscience even before you got saved. But now that you've gotten saved, how many hear that even more? God is speaking through your conscience. God is really telling you what to do and what not to do. Before I was a Christian, I could cuss somebody out and go, hey, they deserved it. Now as a Christian, I know the Lord convicts me, even to the way I treat my wife, to the way I treat my kids. How many parents can understand? You go back to your kids. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it that way. And you know you were right for being mad, but maybe you said it the wrong way. The Bible says in your anger, sin not. It's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to act in anger, right? And so the Bible talks about a peace of mind. The third thing that we talk about, or the Bible talks about rather, in, in the peace of the kingdom is resolving the relational conflicts in our lives. The Bible talks about blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called what? Sons of God. Wow. If my son has my earthly nature and I'm a son of God, am I supposed to have his divine nature? Wow, I think you're getting it right. And I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus now. Well, what's a manifestation of me sharing in the divine nature, the righteousness? Is I get along with people. I'm supposed to get, it's hard, but I'm supposed to get along with people. Help me, Jesus. I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to get along with sassy people. I'm supposed to get along with argumentative people. I'm supposed to get along with violent people. I'm even supposed to pray for my enemies. I am commanded to pray for ISIS. And I'm to pray that God will bless them. Not bless them in their massacre of Christians, but bless them by saving them and transforming their lives. I'm to pray for my enemies and those who despitefully use me. I'm to be a peacemaker. Now, of course, some of you have, you know, the real world expectations. You know, it doesn't always work out. That's right. They crucified Jesus, okay? You don't crucify somebody you love. They beheaded Paul and they crucified Peter upside down. So it doesn't always go well doing the right thing, okay? Bad things happen to good people all the time. Look to Jesus. How do we do it then? Forgive them for they know not what they do. I know it sounds trite and it's like uh, not a big deal, but it's the biggest deal. Jesus on the cross looks at humanity and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Seriously, you got to look at your abuser and say, Father, forgive my dad for he didn't know what he was doing. Forgive the people who hate me for they do not know what they're doing. See, the Christian knows that hell is their destination and that literally if anybody had a moment in hell, they literally would stop doing what they're doing. Yeah, there's crazy people that put 666 on their head. Some of those are my friends in high school and they, and they think they wanted to go to hell. But no, no, if you actually took them and put them in hell, not their imagination of hell, not some little uh, movie of hell, anybody in hell would instantly cry out for mercy and plead not to be there, right? So anyone doing things on their way to hell of the devil knows not what they do. It's all ignorance. It's all blindness, the Bible says. They are blinded, and they do not know what they do. They may say, oh, no, I know what I'm doing. I'm beating you up like the ISIS. I know what I'm doing. I'm beheading you. I know what I'm doing. But they have no idea because they think by doing that they're earning favor with Allah. They're going to have virgins in heaven, and they don't understand they're going to perish in hell. Like I said, if they knew what they were doing, they would repent. So what do we say in the face of all opposition as peacemakers? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's what Jesus said. Look at your neighbor and say, that's what he said. 
Amen. Lastly, as Rachel comes, joy. How many need some joy? Amen. I know if I have it after two services preaching 100 miles an hour here, I can get some joy. You can get some joy. Here we go. Number one, there is spiritual bliss that comes from God. I will turn there. You don't have to. First Peter talks about a joy unspeakable, full of glory. How many have ever felt joy inexpressible, full of glory? Anybody here? If you haven't, I'm sorry. You need to get some. Seriously. How many would like some joy today? Do you know where I can buy it for $1.99 a pound? Can I drink it and mix it with uh, Sprite? No. Some, some people used to call alcohol joy in a bottle, but that's not real joy, is it? But do you want it? What if I told you I knew a place you could find it right now? Would you join me? Would you take some of it? Would you receive it? Look what the Bible says. Peter talking. He says, though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him. Has anybody here ever seen Jesus? I haven't. I saw a dream of the light of the Lord, the glory of God, but that's about it. I can fit into this category. So how many of you are like me? You've never seen Jesus. Okay. There was only two real options here, uh, church. Let me ask it again. How many of you have seen Jesus? Okay. Now that means the rest of you should be raising your hands now, class. Okay. How many of you have not seen Jesus? Okay. For those of you who are not raising your hands, I'm not sticking around for you. I got to go places. Come on. Though you have not seen him, you love him. But how many of you love him? You haven't seen him, but you love him. You met him through the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God came to you. When did it come? For me, it was November 5th, 1995. Drugs in my pocket, living with a woman I wasn't married to, stressed out on life. And my mother was saying, Jesus is the answer for your life. I said, I don't believe that. I think Jesus is like the fairy godmother, the tooth fairy, whatever. They don't exist. And my mom said, listen, what harm do you have in praying with me then? And I realized what the Bible said, that just a mustard seed could change your life. Because that's all the size faith that I had is the size of a mustard seed. I just go, yeah, you're right. If, if it's not real, it doesn't matter. But if I open up my heart just a little bit to trust what you're saying, I have everything to gain and nothing to lose. November 5th, 1995, 18 years old, that's 20 years this November 5th. I just prayed with my mom. And I began to feel what this is talking about. He said, you don't, you haven't seen him, but you love him. And even though now you don't see him, you still believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. Remember how we get right standing with God is through faith in the gospel, the righteous shall live by faith, and the salvation of your soul. November 5th, 1995, Jesus saved my soul. I was rebellious. I was a God hater. I actually used to call up TBN and make fun of the prayer workers and them speaking in tongues and mock the Holy Spirit. But thankfully, God was gracious to me. I remember going to church, and it was so odd because I'd been brought up in church. I don't want to tell a story that that's not true. You know, I mean, I was brought up in church. Maybe I wasn't as bad as some sinners, but I was a pretty bad sinner in my opinion, you know. Been arrested a bunch of times. But being in church now, like being a Christian, it was so different. 
it's like I felt like I knew who they were talking about. It's like before when they were talking about Jesus, it was like talking about Abraham Lincoln. Sure, maybe he existed, whatever, like, but I don't know him. I don't know much about him, whatever. But literally, I remember sitting there, and they were, the preacher was preaching, and I remember thinking, like, I know who he's talking about. Like, I feel like I know him. Never met Jesus face to face, but I feel like I know him. And I started to learn. And I remember there were times that I would get tempted with sin. And there wasn't a lot of people in my life. Like we do discipleship now. There wasn't a lot of that in my life. And I, and I remember just knowing that certain things were wrong. You know, like I couldn't have sex anymore. And there was these girls that were still calling me. And I remember being tempted like any dude would be tempted. And then I remember, like, wanting to get high because my friend was like, give me a ride to the airport, like, that week. And I just remember, he's like, give me a ride to the airport and I'll get you high. I got some weed. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't know why, but I just don't want to do that. And I'm being honest. I'm being honest. See, some people want to be fake in church. Not church. I'm going to be honest. And I was, like, hanging up the phone, and I really was like, I kind of do want to get high, but there's something pulling me in the other direction. Like, there is a, I, I, mean, I can describe it now as a spiritual force asking me to walk with him. And I'll, and I'll ask Steve to come up. We talked about this before, taking steps of the spirit. Come on, sir. I'll give this to you as an example, but this is what it felt like. So we're going to have, Steve has now upgraded in his position. He is now the Holy Spirit, okay? We're going to have him act out the Holy Spirit. So you, you, you're, the, you're now the parakletos. This is not blasphemy. It's just an example, right? So let's say this is the path of righteousness because the Bible says the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, right? So let's say that's the path of righteousness. And my friend just called me, and this is the path of wickedness, and I want to go smoke weed, and I'm wondering what's going on. You go that way. Go that way. I just felt this. I felt that tug. I felt like there's, there's the flesh wanting to go there. But there is the Spirit wanting to go here. How many think, before I answer this question, because I sinned a lot, you know, when I was first saved, so I want to know where you think I went on this. How many think I still got high? Raise your hands. Are you all believe like one person, like three or four? Okay, that's okay, that's okay. How many think I fought the temptation, never got high again? Okay. It could have been either way because I didn't quit every sin like that, right? But, yeah, I said, okay, let's go. And I haven't got high since. Praise God. Amen. Some people got to get high. I'm high on Jesus. Give him a try. Ain't no high like the most high. Give Jesus a try. Boom. So guess what? Here I am, free from drugs. But why did that happen? Because the joy of God was in my heart. And I remember I would be at church services, and I've seen it up here. That's why I can totally rate it. It still happens, you know, in my life. But I, I love seeing it in a new believer's life. But I was like at church services, and I would just be crying and crying. And people would be like, why are you crying? I don't know. I just feel Jesus. I don't know. I feel Jesus. And then I'm just crying. And then I see people up here, and I'm like, why are you crying? I don't know. I just feel Jesus. I feel Jesus is loving me. You know, they can hardly talk snot coming down telling you. I, I mean, I remember getting up off the floor one time, and there was a puddle literally of snot and you know, just tears on the floor. Joy unspeakable. How many have felt that kind of joy? If you haven't, I want to tell you, come up here. Ask one of our prayer workers to pray with you. Don't be in a hurry. Ask God for that joy. Do you know that there's also emotional excitement of joy? 
Wednesday, the, the Cubs were playing for the uh, the wild card. I'm not, I don't even care about sports. I watch reality cooking shows, reality TV cooking shows. Sometimes I watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I know, pray for me. I just, I do, I do that stuff. But I am like a dude who can play sports. I just don't watch it, right? But so I don't know what's going on. I'm there Wednesday, and they're just cranking out the home runs. I mean, people are cheering. And before you know it, I'm cheering too. All right, go Cubs. Come on, man. You got it. And literally, I'm talking with Lily, and she's looking at me like, why are you doing this? You didn't even care a minute ago, and now you're clapping. Well, here was the reason. I didn't want to be the one dude in the place not clapping. I'm like, they're excited. It made me excited. And, and it wasn't like a shallow thing. It was like, I'm excited. Yes, that kind of excitement comes and goes. It's like payday excitement, first love excitement. But I want to tell you, there is an excitement in serving God. And for some of you who think it's just shallow, it's actually not. In Acts 13, 52, they were being killed like they are in ISIS, beheaded, crucified, fed to lions, stoned. And it said they got full of joy and excitement and said, we're going to keep preaching anyway because they knew they were on the winning team. It's contagious. So maybe you came here today and you didn't know why you were happy, but you were clapping during the fast song. And you're amening now, and I've seen it happen. I mean, this is a church, and mostly people in this church, 70, 80% of people in this church have never been a member of another church. Most people are newly saved here. We just baptized 30 people just a few weeks ago. Are you listening to me? And I see them get excited. I see young people that would never be in church, but they get excited. You know why? Because it's contagious. And this is what the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Even if you don't feel like it, it will literally change your, your demeanor. Smiling in the Lord. Your day may not be good, but God is good. You smile, changes your life. Amen. And then lastly, there is joy in brotherly, sisterly fellowship. As you find your way in the kingdom, I guarantee you, I don't care how close your friends are right now, what entourage you're rolling with or what squad. Or how way back you and the fellows on the block go. But listen to me. You hang out with Jesus, you will find the greatest friends of all. You may find some fruits and flakes and nuts and crazy people, but those people are everywhere. Okay? I, I don't have a, like, a crazy detector at this church. Boop, boop, boo, boo, boo. Crazy person, you can't come here. No, we got to let in crazy people, okay? And, and messy people do what? Make messes. They make messes in church. They make messes on their job. But listen to me. I'm not talking about crazy. You'll find that anywhere. But I'm talking about real brothers, real sisters. I've been doing this 20 years, a lot longer than I've been pastoring this church. And I'm telling you, I have my best friends that are Christians. I have the same age of a lot of my friends from the world. Some of them were in my wedding. And literally, I sometimes call them on the same day, like when I'm stuck in traffic, like, I'm going to call this guy, I'm going to call this guy. It is, I can't even describe to you the night and day difference. Just stick around Christians and you'll see what I'm talking about. My one friend that's not a Christian that I've known since I was a kid, it's just like, hey, what's going on? How's work? How's the kids? We're doing this, we're doing that. My friend that I've had that's a Christian all these years, I mean, it goes deep immediately. When I ask how is the marriage, it's not just like a shallow thing, it's a real thing. And then we help each other, we walk with each other. And if you haven't found that yet in church, I am sorry, but you are at the right church to find it. And if the first friend of this church wasn't that way, go to the second one. I guarantee you, you will find a great friend in this church. And sometimes those who come single find great friends, they become their married partners. There's a lot of people hooking up in this church like, yeah, starting off as friends. Now they friends. See, there's a lot of little stuff going on right Yeah. <laughs> but here's the deal. Even if you have friends that you say, man, you know what, they're like brothers. I'm going to stay with them and try to help them. 
Watch how it will change as a Christian friend, as you become a Christian friend. If they truly love you, they'll stick with you and you'll help them. Those friends that I have literally come to me for advice. And I used to be just as jacked up as them, but they're coming now because they see joy in my life. It's not fake joy. I mean, I got problems. You can hang out with me. You'll see my wife and I fight. You'll probably see me spank my kids. You know what I'm saying? But the point is, can I say like Paul, righteous, blameless, and holy? Yes, because when I make a mistake, I want to go back and repent. True friends do that, right? I hope that there's more than just a few of us here that can say like Paul, I've been righteous, I've been blameless, I've been holy. Whatever mistakes I've made, I've made it right. Here it is in closing. The kingdom of God is all about the King Jesus who gave his life for us so that we might lovingly serve him and others with righteousness, peace, and joy. Therefore, do not think that this comes from human origins or efforts, but know and rely that it comes on the Holy Spirit. Rely upon him. How many are happy for the King of Kings? Can we stand up? Give him a hand clap. It's all about Jesus. Sorry if I went long, but I got excited. You know you get excited about stuff when it goes long if you like that stuff, you know. Like, oh my gosh, it's overtime. Look at this. Oh my gosh, you mean we get to stay to this club till three, whatever. I mean, you know that there are things that make us happy. I hope that Jesus is making you happy. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You want some? Here's how we're going to end it. We're going to end it just like last week. I'm going to ask the altar workers to come. And as they're coming, I'm going to start to pray. And if you need any of these things, come to them for prayer or just make your way up to the front and worship with us. And I want to end how we ended the second service, saying, I need you, God. I need you, God. And are the words still back there, brother? You may be able to find it. They put it back there. Thank you. Come on up here, brother. We want to get some more prayer workers up here. We're a little light-handed today on prayer workers. Look at Here they come. Here comes back up. Here comes Sister Soldier. Wow, the Sister Soldier. Look at you. You ready to pray for somebody? Do you have joy of the Lord that you can impart? Do you have peace? Do you have righteousness? So if anybody came up here and said, I want what you got, could you point them to the source? Could you? I mean, but are you better than anybody else? No. You're taller than everybody else, but are you better than everybody? You look down on us? You look down on us, don't you? You, you look down on us. <laughs> Let's just pray. Father, I've said what your word said. Anything that was of my opinion, I pray now it doesn't matter. But whatever is founded and based in your word, let your Holy Spirit confirm it to your people. We pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven right now. There's righteousness in heaven. There's peace in heaven. And there's joy. Would you send it our way by the Holy Spirit? 30 seconds of self-reflection right now. Would you do it? Reflect on your own life. Introspection, reflection, meditation, it's all the same thing. Contemplative prayer. Ask yourself these questions. Am I righteous? Do I have peace? And am I full of joy? Some of you may say, yeah, but I want more. That's a good place to be, right? You always can want more. But especially those who would say, ah, I'm not sure. I don't, don't have a lot. Not sure about this. I want to get in on it. Just release your heart to God. Even right now, just say, God, I surrender. I'm going to get ready to dismiss, but I want to sing this song before we do. And then we'll pray for those who need it. But right now, I just want us to sing, I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you, God. I need you.
second part. The righteousness and peace and joy is in your kingdom. All the righteousness time and then we'll sing I need you God righteousness righteousness we need your righteousness we need the peace that passes understanding joy unspeakable and full of glory now I need you God I need you God I need you I need you God Bless those who have to go, but those who stay, Lord, I pray you encounter us here. I pray that we go to another level with you, and that no matter where we find ourselves this week, we find ourselves in your kingdom, full of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, can you say amen, saints, and give them a hand clap for praise, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, hallelujah. Would you slap your neighbor high five and say it's all about the kingdom. God bless you. You may go. And those who need prayer, just come on up or worship with us. We're going to seek God. If you have to go, enjoy your week. We'll see you at life groups. But if you would like prayer for any of these things or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just come on up. We'd love to pray for you in Jesus' name. God bless you as you go.